0: All right, welcome back to these go to 11 podcast. Today we have Greg Dutcher again and his good friend, Matt Smith. Matt, say hello.
1: Hello out there.
0: Um, We have a great show for you tonight. Um, We're actually going to track back a little bit. Uh, We were so excited, Greg, about getting into the podcast that we actually forgot to, you know, describe where the name came from, who we are. Yes. Um, So we're going to go ahead and just, you know, backtrack. Why don't you go ahead and give the backstory on the name? See this? What
1: exactly does go to 11?
0: Yes. Well, these podcasts go
2: to 11. Oh, okay. Because when we get our time release down, Nathan, right, we're going to release these, say it's like, Forty-two minutes, the podcast. That means that uh, I can't do math. That these podcasts will be released <laughs> at ten eighteen, mm. so Just that sometime
0: after, so it goes
2: it to eleven. Goes to eleven, exactly. Uh, yeah, most people I'm finding that are under age thirty-five have no idea what that means. Doesn't that date you, Matt? It does. It's weird weird these go to 11 great scene in spinal tap uh, where uh, Nigel whatever his last name is (laughs) is uh, showing Rob Reiner their uh, equipment and uh, he's like yeah most most of these uh, uh, speakers go to 10 but these go to 11
1: one of my favorite scenes from this is Spinal Tap. Yes, is when the drummer tries to stand up on top of his drums.
2: Oh yeah, and he just falls down like <laughs> the drums just wiping out everything. Completely cut.
1: Was that during the Stonehenge? I don't remember. Scene? it was. I don't remember. Now I want to go back and watch it. I know it was hilarious.
2: I might have to watch it too. By the way, Matt Smith is the one who came up with the name. If any people listening have objections to the content, all right, no, that's not true. It was Nathan <laughs> Bell. Um, but no, yeah. So it's just kind of a. It's a great classic movie line. A little bit offbeat, a little bit weird, and that's how we are here. You know, Nathan, we're cutting edge absolutely we're very postmodern and very hip and uh you can probably tell matt by our stylized studio space uh,
1: i'm speechless yeah <laughs> i'm absolutely no this is this is incredible
2: it, it is it's cutting edge
1: if you people could see where we are yes
2: <laughs> we're going to release the video footage sometime soon nathan in the upcoming podcast
0: i, I think i think that'll be on the uh, special edition dvd yes, episode.
2: i think so I think so. Yeah, again my mother is listening in. So again we have at least one listener for the second week.
0: Woohoo! So good. <laughs> um and so yeah, just what we're going to do now is um introduce ourselves. I'm Nathan Bell I'm the host. Um Greg came to me back in it was uh July of 14 just asked me to help him with a ministry project. Um I have no idea why, but you know, he saw something that was there. Um, And just, um, no, uh, we we actually just have a really great friendship and we enjoy um, discussing all sorts of topics together and, um, you know, anything from theology to beer to sports to movies. And so it was just a great way to have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off and and kind of banter back and forth. Yes. Um, So I am married to Joy Bell um, and we've recently become Parents of sorts to a teenager, we decided to uh, skip over the childhood years, and so we haven't. Ex- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think so. Teenagerhood <laughs> isn't uh, isn't all as cracked up to be. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's it's been great. It's been an adventure. It's an exchange student that we're going to have for the next um, four and a half years. Oh, wow. So um, it's it's been quite an adventure yes. doing that.
2: Yes, and that's why Nathan, I came to you because. Joy was afraid you'd mess that up. That's right. So I gave you a project by taking on this podcast. <laughs> Please take so him
0: I'm out worried. of the house. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, and so, Greg, you know, just a little bit about yourself and family. And- yes, yes. Uh,
2: I'm married to Lisa. Uh, we've been
0: married 20
2: plus years. I guess it'll be 21 years this summer, same as you, Matt, right? I think you married a few months before we did. Um, and uh, we have four kids. Uh, it was very fun. We had the girls as the book ends. Samantha is uh, 16, Ella is six. Uh, Ben is 11, he goes to 11, Uh, and Isaac is, um, yeah, Isaac is 8. I had to do that really quick. And uh, we live here in Forest Hill, Maryland, and um, I'm just a blessed man.
1: Matt? You are a blessed man, Greg. Yes. Um, I uh, married to Tracy Smith, and uh, we celebrated 20 years last April 9th, and uh, actually went out to California, had a great trip out there. So we are uh, approaching 21 years this spring. Uh, we have four kids. Uh, Steven's my oldest. Uh, he's 16. All my kids are going to get an upgrade this spring. That's because everybody's birthday kind of is around the springtime. So Steven's currently 16, then Abby is 13, then David is seven, and Jada is 6. I think that's right.
2: I'm going to text Tracy to make sure that yeah. he got all no, the Yeah, I, right. I think that's right.
1: Just don't ask me birth dates because yes. that,
2: no, not too good yes. with that. And by the way, Nathan, Matt travels. He's a world traveler every time I check out his Facebook. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. In world. New
2: York or Tracy, oh, especially, man. She's oh, like down I, in I, Haiti.
1: World travel. Yeah. I, Matt doesn't travel a whole lot. Y- yes. Except I really wouldn't have been half the places in the world if it wasn't for being married to Tracy. Yes.
2: That's the key. Tracy is. I noticed something. Tracy's married to Matt, and she likes to go
1: other places.
2: I'm yes. not sure.
0: I, that's I, true. Don't know if there's a correlation no, there. No, or, I'm sure
2: there's no connection there. But I, I just thought I, I would have
1: that effect on people. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would bring that up.
1: You'll notice that I. This could be my last podcast. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: I think so. I think so. You will find when I used to have a Facebook, which I haven't had for some time. Um, yeah, I mean, I. Glen Bernie is about as far as I go.
0: Honeybee Diner. That's it. So, uh, we're glad to have a seasoned traveler like you here, Matt. So oh, well, yeah. that's all right. Um, so tonight, uh, our first topic is actually going to be discussing Greg's sermon, which will lead into the next two, and we'll you know save those for when we get to them. But Greg, uh, this past Sunday, you talked about grace, and you talked about salvation after we are saved. Yes. And what do we what do we do almost at that point? There's that you know just kind of bated breath. Okay, I'm saved. You know, it's great. I've got all this energy. I've got all this all this excitement. Now, what do I do? Yeah. And so, how did you how did you answer that?
2: Yeah, so I'd love to direct people to listen to it, uh, but we had a technical problem (laughs) Sunday for like the 13th time, and it didn't record. So I recorded today a very cutting-edge technological uh, version of the same sermon in the car on my way to meet somebody at the Orient in Bel Air for lunch and you hear the traffic in the background, and it's a a seven-and-a-half-minute summary of that sermon. Uh, It was probably very poorly done. So don't listen to that. But Uh, the notes
1: are online. And the fact that it was seven-and-a-half minutes could be a good thing.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. In fact, Mark, uh, our executive pastor here, asked if um, the sound team could accidentally delete all my future sermons. Uh, So yeah, that was from 1 Peter 1, uh, 13. Uh, It's the first command that Peter gives in the book, which is interesting. He spends 12 verses celebrating what God has done for our salvation. He's chosen us, he's caused us to be born again, he's uh, guaranteed us this perfect inheritance, it's unfading, that can't be lost, it can't be taken away from us. And he does all this and it's interesting that he is not barking out commands. I'm thinking if you've got a scattered army, which is what you know, a common metaphor for the church, facing intense persecution, you're gonna hit the ground running hot and heavy with commands. Do this, don't do this. Uh, pray, read your Bible, etc. And Peter does get to those things, but the first command that he comes to after celebrating our salvation is hope. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he basically says, put your hope in the God who has saved you. So uh, we talked a lot this week about how, uh, don't you love when preachers say, we, I talked. You know, um, you
1: talk, they listen. <laughs> they listen. Well,
2: they feign listening. Um, I saw a few teenagers with their iPhones out. I've sure they were taking notes absolutely um but you know uh we we talked about that that christianity is relational in its essence um uh, god saves us and we respond not with uh, sort of living by a code uh okay what does a christian do but we look back at the one who saved us and a relationship exists and um you know, I know when I wake up in the morning and I, I talk to Lisa, I don't look at a code about, okay, what are the seven things I need to do today for Lisa? Uh, living by a code is not the way that uh, we want to live the Christian life, although I guess most of us do. And um, you know, it's interesting, Matt, that you're here because as most people know that have ever heard me talk, Matt's the guy that led me to Christ. So uh, in those early years, man, man, I mean, you at that point, am I right on this that your parents were yet to be believers?
1: Um, I, they, my parents definitely were committed to um, the church and definitely committed to God. Where they were in terms of specifically experiencing the new life in Christ, uh, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I think that was a process of, of somewhere down the line yeah. when that the Holy Spirit really made that click for them.
2: Yeah, because I've always told people we were sort of <laughs> two uh, 16-year-old orphans. Um, in the sense that we didn't really have somebody consistently in our life discipling us,
1: we were trying to get our pastor saved.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we and that is that's never true. a good sign. No, no, we were actually trying to get our mainline Protestant Methodist pastor, who was a woman. I'm not saying that to create more controversy. We're just stating the fact we were trying to get her saved. And uh, when she was out of town, we uh, had a clandestine coup uh, where, wasn't I the liturgist that Sunday?
1: <laughs> All right, here's what you did.
0: Yeah, Because uh, it's
1: important your audience knows yes. what they're listening to behind, the man behind the mic. Actually, it would have been yes. the young boy behind yes. the mic the yes. You were a certified lay speaker. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was. Kind of, you were. I was, I was, uh, I was certified. You, so you were in the pulpit, kind of leading liturgy and things like that. Yep. Um, the current pastor, uh, I think, was, uh, was getting ready to have a baby and was having some difficulties, so she was not in the pulpit. There yes. was a, a fill-in gentleman who was filling in, and you made an announcement to the congregation, uh, basically to the effect that the gospel's not being preached in this church, Satan's taken over this church, and if anybody would like more information about this, <laughs> you're having a meeting downstairs after the service, so I can remember these precious little elderly ladies coming down the stairway, entering in uh, which was where our high school Bible yeah, study used where to have the four class of us met, was yeah. and these ladies coming in saying, Satan took over the church, when did this happen? Nobody told me! <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, that's right, that's and right. And then, uh, that didn't make the pastor very happy.
2: No, no, I recall that she was less <laughs> than thrilled. Um, so, that may have been a classic example, Matt, of, uh, example of our enthusiasm maybe needing to be tempered a little bit more with some uh, wisdom and winsome attitude but if it was uh, a it
1: if in. it was a biblical church we should have been disciplined yes yes <laughs> no <that's> questions. No, <laughs> no, no questions. i never thought about that dude yeah, we should have been yeah. church disciplined the good thing is they didn't believe the bible so yeah. we didn't have to worry about yeah. that. i don't think they knew what church discipline was <laughs> don't think so
2: uh yeah that's true and i remember we talked with her in her office do you remember we took our briefcases <laughs> we were like 16 yes. and had a meeting with her and we were basically uh, asking her does she believe in hell Uh, hell's a state of mind Uh, do you believe in uh, in heaven yeah i think so most people go there Uh, so that's where we were in our early years
1: and she was telling us that she believes that uh, john wesley would have been very encouraged by the evolution of oh, the beliefs yes. within that particular denomination. Yes, of the
2: church, which fits Wesley's, you know, very uh, oh, absolutely. very liberal uh, <laughs> <laughs> orientation, my word. Oh. I mean, if there was a rolling over in the grave, yes. he had done it 30 times by then. But uh, yeah, I, I think back to those days, Nathan, and I was constantly, I mean, Matt was my guy. You know, mm-hmm. we were peers, but I was just looking to Matt on how to live the Christian life, and Matt was looking to his mentors like um, Ernest Angley. <laughs> and if anybody thinks I'm joking, no, Bro, I mean Ernest Angley,
1: brother. You are special to God. He was my father in the faith. <laughs> yes, he was.
2: Who had to be one of the most uh, blatantly odd men and clearly do you wore two. Still
1: going? Is he really? Same Toupee, I think. But do you,
2: <laughs> do you think we could get Ernest Angely on this podcast? We should, we should try. Nathan, that would be awesome. I'll get on it. Yeah, I, yes. I. wonder if there's one listener. Actually, I wonder if there's one listener. But if <laughs> if that one listener,
1: it could be Ernest Angel. It could be Ernest
2: Angel. Okay. Come
1: on in, Jesus.
2: Note that, Nathan. I know you had a question here somewhere about a serious matter. Right and now, right, right. I completely forgot what it was. But yeah, yeah, Ernest Angel. Okay. It's
0: all right. We're un- we're unedited on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, but no, we were um, largely orphans, kind of figuring out as we went. So I think, Matt, it was we were always looking for the you know. I mean the next Christian album, um, the feeling, the feeling, the Holy Ghost feeling. And we we used wanted to, talk to about. feel. Yes, this. yes. And I remember I would uh, I was so impressionable. I'd hear a sermon on prayer. Oh, it all comes down to prayer. I'd hear one on on um, you know the, you know reading the Bible. It all comes down to reading the Bible. Always searching for the next thing you're supposed to do, um, and fasting. Matt, right? You would say I'm a big faster.
1: Well, yeah, because you're wasting weight. In
2: you've got plenty of room in this sound booth right now. So, uh, yeah, I fasted last night for like three hours uh, Then I woke up. Um, but yeah, we were uh, always in search of uh, a discipler, a mentor. So it was years later for me that I really began to, I mean, I knew Christianity was a relationship. You know, you hear that all the time. I think Matt made that clear enough to me. But it's like, once you're saved, what what do you do? You know, and, and the thought that, well, the the first thing Peter tells us to do is to put our hope yeah. Uh, in Christ and uh, you take that one Matt.
1: Well I think it's you know it's it's a huge difference between do versus done and until I think you see in the scriptures that Christianity is grounded on what Christ has done um, the doing you do will be in vain. Yes. um, Because ultimately it's going to be in your own strength ultimately if you do anything it'll just be to give yourself glory and self-congratulations uh but i think when when grace grace has this message that comes on the scene that says you can't but christ can yeah christ did and uh it's it's a really it's a wrecking message before it, it puts you back together and uh, gives you new life because yeah. it makes a loud statement. Because I think most people, even in, in in our culture, that might not even be believers, would acknowledge, "Oh, I need the grace of God." Mm-hmm. But it's it's we need grace to kind of you know fix up the twenty percent of our life, mm-hmm. uh, not I need grace from start to finish. Yeah, and that's yeah. a very different mindset.
2: Let me ask you while you're here because I I'm beginning to test this out because Nathan hears me say this all the time here at Nathan Church that I'm not a big application guy and I'm I'm willing to say that might be a problem. Uh, I will admit though, Matt, and you've heard me preach, I've heard you preach, I think you do a better job than I do at application. Um, Let let me just give you an over-exaggerated defense of not applying. Um, I am coming to think that a number of Christians almost worship application. They don't find value in a sermon unless you give them three very practical, pithy points that they could start doing that day and i just look at the sermons in the new testament and and i really don't see it other than repent believe um i don't see paul or peter uh or jesus himself giving sermons where he ends with and let me tell you three ways you can put this um into practice right away so i i sort of purposely avoid application and i don't want to go down that road too much except that i do think it ties in in you know your question nathan about mm-hmm. what do we do after we're saved um and i think sometimes that application kind of preaching makes us hungry for what do i do next what's the next thing i have to do am i matt because you'll be blunt overstating it
1: maybe slightly okay um I would totally agree with you. I don't think that when you look in the New Testament, you see four easy steps or 10 easy ways to whatever. Um, But I think being able to be so bathed and soaked in the gospel of grace, that's where application takes place. Um, Because the more you know it, and it has this ruling and reigning effect in your life, I think that's where Uh, being led by the Holy Spirit in the community of the saints in a local church, application takes place, um, the one another's. Uh, Because the the reality is I can have a great quiet time and read the Bible and I can see a, a, a portrait of the glory of Christ and just be undone by that. But when I close my Bible and I have to interact, whether it's with my wife or kids or somebody else, that's really going to be the test as to really how spiritual I'm really becoming, how much Mm -hmm. like Christ I'm becoming. And so to me, that's where the applications, I think the application happens less on a Sunday morning and more in the life of the church Mm -hmm. in how people hear the Sunday sermon. So the application is, is what, so what, how is this, how did this land on me and what is Christ showing me about him in in looking at Christ, something's gonna to happen to me. I'm gonna be changed as, as kind of your church. No, you don't wanna call it a, a slogan. No, no, <laughs> no. Change by beholding.
2: It's, it's more of a trademark. Yeah. It's more of a trademark logo than a slogan. But
1: it is, it's it's biblical. I mean, that's, that's how ultimate change happens. But I think when you start, I think about the conversations I've had with people in wanting to grow the the put-offs and the put-ons. To me, that's application. Mm -hmm. So the question is, can you do some of that in the pulpit? Mm -hmm. It's almost like they're having a one-on-one conversation with their pastor and you're pastoring them uh, in the same kind of way if you were at Starbucks. You might say you're asking them questions, Mm -hmm. you're helping them walk through so that they learn how to apply truth rather than just these four sterile points of, do these do these four things, and out comes the result. Yeah, I think that's where application is distorted and goes bad.
2: Yeah, and I think there's the the sense too that uh, when and maybe Nathan, we make this in the write-up application because we're we're sort of talking about that, sure. which is, is good. I um, I've always been fearful of application because there is an element in the church that, that holds the pastor in in a high regard, which you know is is nice uh if it's not you know overplayed it doesn't become worship and i have found parents will tell their kids you heard what pastor greg say this this week and it's an illustration like i just shared sunday how um i I killed my facebook about a year Mm -hmm. ago and for me it's largely to do my own add tendencies Mm -hmm. um just how easily distracted i am and i can hear i'm even reluctant to share those stories because i can hear people saying hey if you're really committed you know, like pastor greg told us this week you should give up your facebook um yeah. <laughs> you, know, you
0: love jesus you won't give it as i just set up a facebook for this podcast yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but that's a sanctified facebook. which
0: which greg will not be visiting <laughs> no
2: i i will be visiting it uh, nathan has made me a stealth access so i will be able to spy on what's being said there you go, but um yeah anyway we don't have to go off an application
0: Well, let me let me throw this out to you guys then though too um because you know there, there is the element that you said matt of wanting the people in the church to apply what you've said um, but greg like you said too you don't want them to necessarily apply what you're saying specifically for you so would you agree then that the application can be diverse for the people in the congregation oh sure
1: yeah and i do think that's the danger when you give and I know I've, I've, I've crossed this line. I think now I'm, I'm trying to be a, a lot more careful than I used to be that when you give an example, especially if it's a personal one, um, that people don't hear that as on par with Scripture. Right. Um, you know, like you said, the Facebook thing or something like that. Uh, because to me, the application is is how they are trying to connect that clear objective truth from the pages of God's word that the holy spirit is writing upon their heart and they're trying to attach it to a very specific area of their life and they need the people that know them best their community they need those people speaking into their lives yeah. because the reality is that's where a pastor is not going to be able to do that right uh, on a sunday or really necessarily just meeting with them one on one because they don't have the background they don't have the, the, the real story um, and hopefully that becomes a real practical application so to me the biggest application is who who's involved in your life that is helping you walk this thing called your faith out um, and is ultimately pointing you to Christ who in looking at him and seeing his worth and his value the Holy Spirit is using to bring change in your life
2: yeah well, and if it is a relationship um, I mean your relationship, Nathan, with Joy looks different than Matt's right. and Tracy's. Mine is different with Lisa's. That uh, How odd it would be if we were all saying the same things to our wives because we read in a book somewhere this is what we're supposed to say. Which, by right.
1: the way, is the danger to sometimes uh, an unintended effect when you attend a conference, like a marriage conference. Oh, yeah. Because you hear the speaker mm-hmm. tell these really amazing stories, and you think, oh, he he like... Uh, you know he surprised his wife and he packed the suitcase and they swept her away on this trip if i did that it would be disastrous because <laughs> because <laughs> my wife part of what she enjoys the trip to looking forward to-
2: yeah we had a little technical glitch here but we're going to get back into it um yeah same thing matt i think i've told it before when uh, lisa and i were first married i i guess i was living by what's the code what is a, okay i'm supposed to buy gifts for lisa and she liked those. Precious Moments, little figurines, have you ever seen those? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, she liked that, and I was like, oh, wow. I got her one, and she loved it, and then I got her a second one for Christmas. She loved it. I thought, they make like 5,000 of those Precious Moments things. So I, I'm set for the next 50 years. Um, until three years into it, she told me, yeah, I'm really not into Precious Moments. <laughs> so my gifts for two and a half years prior to that had completely bombed. Because in the context of a relationship, you don't live by a code. You don't. Uh, and it changes for each person each day. Yeah. Man, that
1: was good, wasn't that what I just said? It was so good I might need you to say it again. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, Matt, like you're gonna use that in a sermon. Yeah, and oh, absolutely. Now will you cite me?
1: No. Okay, good. <laughs> when I when I hear something good, I just take it as my name.
2: good, good. Good. See, I, that was my trick way of getting
1: There's a word for that, stuff. but I don't remember what it is. <laughs> yeah, I can't
2: remember. I think our <laughs> vice president knows something about it I, I can't, with his dissertation,
0: but I digress. Uh, um, so, Greg, you also mentioned um, the, what, what leads to um, the, the idea of works. You know, you talked about you go to a youth conference or any type of a conference and they, you know, just tell you, you know, this is what you got to do to be better this is what you got to do, you know? And so, because you just, you put it so well, what what is it that that stuff leads to when that happens? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's to me, it's the try harder kind mm-hmm. of Christianity, you know, which is sort of what people sometimes do with uh, somebody dealing with alcoholism or something, try harder, um, when really there's gonna be an awful lot of help need to Matt's point about community, etc. cetera. But uh, yeah, I think the try harder uh, version of Christianity, which is to me, imperatives, without gospel indicatives. And I quoted uh, uh, Tullian yeah. mm-hmm. uh who, who's got that great quote. I'm going to paraphrase it. But uh, imperatives without gospel indicatives become impossibilities. Mm-hmm. And I have seen it. I will say this. Um, I, I've been in the Christian school setting. I know, Nathan, you're well uh, uh, aware of that as well and have, have uh, served in that context. I've always wrestled with how do we apply the gospel and its moral implications to kids that may not yet know the Lord? Yeah. Like if they're competent attitude, they're being disrespectful to a teacher or somebody, and I say, why don't you glorify God? You know, I mean, they, they, maybe they can't. Right. Uh, you know, maybe they right. can't. Mm-hmm. So I, now that's a whole separate thing. We can let Christian educators debate that. But I do think that that high moral do this preaching leads to legalism, mm-hmm. drudgery, one-upmanship, because, well, at the end of the day, I may not be doing as well as that guy, but I can feel better that I'm doing better than the other guy, yeah. um, and just creates so much friction in the church, and the gospel just evaporates. Yeah, you know, The gospel gets us in the door, we'll do and then good. all of our – Yeah, and unless you're like Matt, you know, who doesn't do any good, and then uh, – <laughs> don't say, Matt, wouldn't you say that's your pastoral battle cry? I want to do no good so there is no gossip and friction in the church.
1: Yeah, that sums it up. Good. <laughs> that sums it up really <laughs> yeah. well. No, I, I think that's right, Greg. I think to to add to the gospel in any way is to lose the gospel in every way. And yeah. I think um, that is. I think that's the daily Christian challenge. That is the application. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people. The problem is I don't know if the gospel resonates clear enough in the hearts of, of most believers, so that they make those connections mm-hmm. they see the propensity to towards either legalism or license and those extremes
0: yeah um, so that's going to actually propel us into our next topic, which is going to be tithe and taxes. You know, it's that time of the year where, where everybody's getting their financial statements, getting ready to put their taxes out, and Christians and non-Christians alike are, you know, going to be making some uh, decisions on how they're going to fill that out. Um, uh, and, and it's the same thing with tithe on Sundays. And I know the, the issue with tithe was actually really most important to both, um, you know, Greg and you, Matt. Um, you guys actually... Came up with this topic for um, today, and I'm, you know, going to throw this out there that you guys actually don't believe there's anything um, scriptural scriptural about tithing, and so let me just kind of lay that out there for you guys to, um, you know, explain and and you know, throw you under the bus and yes, say, it's all you. I would like Matt to go under the bus first, <laughs> so when he
2: offends people and says things off, I'll kind of come in and massage that a little bit and say it with a little more balance and nuance. No, you no, go ahead.
1: No, what it is is you don't want your offerings in the congregation to just <laughs> <Yeah. slowly
2: laughs> yeah. go down. Yes, there is. I mean, you can't deny it, dude. There is a self-serving <laughs> aspect to this whole conversation when pastors talk about their opinions on tithing. Uh, oh, so. my.
1: To tithe or not to tithe. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the question. question. But in, if you're in doubt,
2: uh, go ahead. Yeah, by no. all means, tithe. Well, um,
1: <laughs> I like to tell people when they visit the church uh, – I really don't say this, but I think this sometimes uh, – You know, just – if you're from another church, we want to make sure you are being faithful to tithe to the congregation. But we'll take the other ninety yeah. <laughs> percent. Right. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Um, right, to be honest with you, I, I you know I grew up believing very firmly because um, I, I heard some sermons on Malachi, and mm-hmm. uh, you are the storehouse you're ripping god off yeah <laughs> uh, and so is tithing biblical well yes it is biblical because it's found in the scriptures uh i think the question really becomes is it something that christians under the law are mandated to do as a new covenant people oh Ooh, uh, good nuance and uh, so my answer to that is no and yes categorically i would say no but no is not a sufficient answer because it left to, with the human heart and our love for money, um, I think it will have Christians wrongly make conclusions that the New Testament absolutely wouldn't even allow them to do. Uh, and so, to me, what do you got? What, three three main texts that reference in the New Testament about tithing. Matthew twenty three twenty three being the the one that. If you're going to try to use one to convince people, it's a New Testament concept where Jesus says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!" Uh, you know, talks about you tie the mint and goes through all the things, and then it says you've rejected the weightier matters. You um, should have been about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You you ought you 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 ought to have done without neglecting the others. Um, and so there's this kind of backward approach to not getting rid of tithing, but you should have been about what God really wanted you to do. Um, that's really, unless you got other verses, that's that's about like the strongest one you could use as a carryover um, in the New Testament to build a tithing case. I've heard, I would agree. I've heard arguments about you know First uh, Corinthians eight, and I think they're really weak. Yeah. Um, and because uh, I think First Corinthians chapter eight and chapter nine are the most beautiful passages found in the New Testament about Christian sacrificial generosity yeah. in giving, and I think if Christians really bathed in that, boy, um, some pretty exciting things. So I'm in the middle with my congregation doing a series right now called Generous. And so I have not actually taught on this whole issue of tithing. Uh, this past week, uh, the, we were just kind of camping out uh, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and, and just wanted the people to see that our generosity is born out of the generosity that God has shown to us and so we just kind of walked through that Um, and the quote that I stumbled across a while back it's a Randy uh, Alcorn quote and you've probably used it Greg but and if you haven't it's an awesome quote Uh, he says the following he says as thunder follows lightning giving follows grace when God's grace touches you you can't help but respond with generous giving and so to me in the New Testament generosity is God's grace being made visible and so yes under the law you had more than a tithe I mean what do you have what 23 25 percent by the time you added up all the different Mm -hmm. things and so if you're going to be consistent and bringing that over into the New Testament then you have to be consistent so you're doing you're giving more than 10 Mm -hmm. percent but we're not under the law and uh, and to me that's the biggest that's the biggest thing oh yeah Uh, grace has liberated us and transformed everything Um, and if under the law we see uh, what it means to put God first uh, well how much more under grace and so when I look at the rest of the New Testament it it talks a lot about money uh, and the dangers because to me the biggest factors become where I'm gonna live what kind of cars I'm gonna drive how I'm gonna spend the resources God has entrusted to me as a steward, as a manager, because that's going to ultimately position me uh, either to be able to seek first His kingdom and to give generous, rather than it's a tie. This box that I check, yeah. Because I could be tithing and be uh, incredibly not generous, yeah. Uh, you know, and so it's not so much about what I'm giving as what I'm keeping. Uh, that that I have to wrestle with. So that's why I don't think it's—I think it's no, because we're under grace, not the law. Uh, But to just leave it at a no misses the whole point.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, would—I think we're pretty much on the same page there, Matt. I mean, I think the tithe is really—it's a a temple tax when when you um, read the pertinent passages in the law— and I would say, uh, yeah, probably the strongest argument is uh, the passage you mentioned uh, where Jesus you know, talks about tithing the dill, the mint, and the cumin. But I mean, you want to get really you know, technical there. The temple is still standing at the time he says that. Right. So what in essence happens after the temple's destroyed in AD 70 has never been rebuilt. Uh, I think the bottom line is, well, we're not in a theocracy anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. Israel was a theocracy, and the the temple tax funded the Levites. It funded the sacrifices. It funded so much of the sort of religious economy in Israel. Um, so now I would say, Matt, I, I don't know if you remember these kind of sermons when we were younger, but I always remember hearing like the tithe should be the minimum. And I used to just believe that. So I, even when I started nuancing my position, said, well, you, you don't have to tithe, but you should at least give 10%. Um, And I sort of took that as law. Okay, so I should at least give 10. So maybe I should be given 15 or 20. And I'm a little more – boy, this is where you shoot – I'm shooting myself in the foot here, dudes. (laughs) Anybody uh, at CSC listen to this? I mean, here, the one verse that I'll go to that I think is as clear as can be, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Mm -hmm. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I actually saw uh, Dave Shive, who'll be a guest here in a week or two, uh, Mm -hmm. tell somebody one time who was saying they were giving the 10% of their gross, but it was frustrating them. They felt stressed because they were so burdened financially. Dave said, let me just ask you a question. If if you gave like 5% of your income, would you do it more joyfully? And the guy said, well, I'm embarrassed to say, but I would. He goes, then do that. He said, because God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of a backwards... Psychology that he's working on them there, but you're really getting at the issue of the heart, you know. So I, I would say we live in this New Testament. We're told, as you said, Matt, to give generously. I love that Alcorn quote. I am going to preach it, and not attribute it to Alcorn. Um, but I am going to say that, um, yeah, whenever grace touches you, absolutely. I think that's a great concept. You, how can you not give? Um, I, I've never. I will say this. I've never quite gotten when. To get an indication that somebody's thinking in a legal way about tithing, which I think is the wrong way to think, because again, it's relational, mm-hmm. um, is when I get this question, I don't know if you get this as a pastor, but I get this, I had people say, should I tithe on the gross yeah, or the net? Or the net? <laughs> and I kind of always want to say, Dude, it, it, now, w- w- if you're debating between the two, why wouldn't you choose the bigger one? <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest with it, you know, like, yeah, because they're almost looking for me to tell them. Yeah. Maybe what they want to hear or uh, what they don't want to hear. Right. But I said, man, don't, don't look at it as a should I determine in your heart what you're going to give. I think it should give where you notice it. I think it should hurt. Uh, and I think you should give in such a way uh, that's generous and consistent. And that's about all the Bible says. So uh, every so often somebody says, "When are you going to preach on tithing. And I'll say, well, when we get to a text on tithing, we will. But as we were saying, I don't think there is one in the New Testament. We'll get to text on giving. And I would just send them to Grace Community's website and, and listen <laughs> Listen to Generous.
1: <laughs> so if you – let me ask you a question. If you were going to preach uh, Malachi, was it chapter 3? Yeah, like, yeah, the storehouse. Uh, so what would a, what would a quick rendi- rendition of a sermon look like yeah. in light of the New Testament?
2: Yeah, I think it's always that way with the Old Testament, right? Because yeah. if, if, if I'm preaching a, a passage where somebody's called to bring two turtle doves for a sacrifice, you know, I mean uh, – <laughs> That's God's word. It has, uh, here we are, application. I think we principalize it. And, you know, the principle for that context is to give to the Lord in its most basic sense. So, no, we're not called to fund a temple tax treasury system as the ancient Israelites were. It doesn't exist. We're not under that economy. Um, But we are called to give generously, uh, you know, for the sake of the gospel, for the furtherance of the gospel. That's how I would handle
1: it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I just think the New Testament has so many warnings about money. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, this isn't—I made this statement on Sunday, um, you know, because we we hit the pause button by preaching through Galatians to do a four-week series on generosity. And so people were like, why? because we want your money. That's why. No, not, no, that, that's exactly what I thought people would be thinking. Show me the money. <laughs> so you know, I just I wanted them to understand we our message is not uh, money. It's it's Jesus. He is our treasure, and it's only we're going to talk about these lesser treasures because there's one that's over that. And we have to flesh this out. We have to work this out because our hearts are active and our hearts are attached to things, and we love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and Jesus makes it very clear: you, you can't serve me and that stuff. You're going to have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's gospel. That's the gospel taking root in our lives. Um, and so. I love the way Paul motivates second Corinthians eight verse nine for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And I like the fact that he says it's not you ought, you should it's you know he wants he, he his highest motivation is you you know something, Corinthians, and to me that's that's where giving takes on a whole new level, yeah. Well,
2: that's weird, We're totally agreeing with each other. On it's rare. It's, it's not as riveting as a big fight would be.
0: I know. What's going on here? Yeah, let's talk but about... Will, let, people want a WWF here.
2: Yeah, let's talk about tongues. No, we'll save that for another podcast.
0: <laughs> but we'll take your tithe.
2: Yeah. <laughs> while, while
0: you're working
1: through the true theological... Yes. Implications behind it.
2: Yes. And you could tie to this
0: podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I, I am kidding about that. So, I guess to go back and, t- and tie the two together, um, you know, going to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, that if our focus is on Jesus Christ and He is our ultimate treasure, then it's not going to be an issue of what you're tithing because God is going to lay that on your heart and you're going to give what He's laid on your heart. You're going to make that determination. Your wife, your family, yourself—you know—between you and God, and that is going to be what you're going to do. And you know, let God take care of His church. You just do what He's commanded you to do.
1: Would you would you agree that if you know we used to say, "If I could show me your schedule, show me your checkbook, right. and I'll tell you what you love." Would you agree with that? Uh,
2: yeah. mm, good question. Yes, in the most general sense, mm-hmm. because it's so hard for me to associate that with certain. Mm -hmm. sort of legalistic context you know i think i i knew of a guy that went to a church uh was there two or three times an elder and somebody else came to the church and literally asked that question Mm -hmm. would they show the checkbook um i would say in principle yes Mm -hmm. but ultimately we're showing that to god Mm -hmm. our checkbook our recreation schedules all that so yeah I'm, i'm being overly technical uh but i do think that yeah i mean obviously where our treasure is there our heart is too uh, so it does tell us a lot.
1: about. That's it, the we're right we're... answer. right? Yes. There. Very good.
2: Very good. You... Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's
2: awesome. I should have just started with that. <laughs> should have just started with that. I will say really quickly, I don't know about you, Matt. I don't know, and I'm not saying how they do things at Christ Community. I love that at Christ Fellowship, the pastors don't know who gives what. I'll tell you why. Um, money can corrupt. Yeah. Contempt. And I know for a fact, if I know the Jones family over here, yep, I yep. should be careful, we do have a Jones family. Uh, the Thompson <laughs> family over here, you know, uh, is giving a huge chunk of money to the church. And I know that the so-and-so family is giving like barely 1% or 2%. Um, I- I'm just free to minister to both yep. without yep. really knowing, hey, these guys are kind of chintzy and these guys are giving generously, so they need some extra attention.
1: Yeah, because people, people we, we don't know. Uh, I don't know what people give. Uh, we obviously there are people on staff that do oh, because yeah. they're the people that are handling. Yeah, they that. have to. Uh, but uh, but people often when they have a conversation, they they talk to you as if you you do know. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I always stop them. I'm like, just just so you know, because they're like, you you know, you know. I'm like, yeah. actually, I don't know. <laughs> hey,
2: things things might have been a little tight lately, and and the only reason the yeah. only reason you saw that new car in the lot is yeah. because my brother is letting me.
1: Yeah, right. Borrow it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had that conversation. So no, I, I I just think, boy, as a pastor, that that's a temptation. There's enough temptation out there. We don't need to add that one to the list.
0: Agreed. Now, what about taxes? How should we how should we as believers handle handle our taxes? And what does Scripture say about taxes and and taxing? Um, I'll, I'll lay it out, Matt, on that one. I
2: just I've never I get political frustration with taxes and when you talk to people, and, and I might have some of those myself, but to me, if all the things the Bible is clear on, yeah. like, you know, I would love to know what did Jesus do between ages 12 and 30? Right. Nothing. Don't have a single scrap of evidence. You know, I, I would love to know that. Uh, taxes? <laughs> <laughs> pay them. Uh, you know, pay them. I mean, that's really Romans 13, uh, yeah, Jesus yeah. saying, you know, uh, r- you know, render to Caesar the yep. things that are yep. Caesar's. Uh, and to God the things that are God's. That uh, I would say now the Bible never tells us we have to like it, uh, and I think we're allowed to have our political you know convictions. Wow, this seems excessive. This seems, and we have the privilege of going to the polling place every November.
1: And, we just need to tell people they're tithing. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're 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 tithing to another temple <laughs> that in another that other percentage in, that in another place? place. It's a pretty good analogy. So that one I've never quite gotten. I mean, it's of all the things you know we probably wish. Like, I often wish there was a third Corinthians, Matt, you know, that said, okay, baptism, age, means, immersion, uh, okay, uh, that would for once and for all end the debates about infant, pedo-baptism, sprinkling, all that stuff. There's not, and there's diversity in the body, but taxes? Yeah. That's Dude, <laughs> pay them.
1: Yeah, that one seems pretty – why – Why? yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I always say, hey, I get your frustration. Just express that frustration yeah. in the voting booth and pay the check in the meantime.
0: And plan wisely. Yeah. Because you're going to have to pay. <laughs> yeah. Now, there, there might be some pushback and things like that because our taxes are obviously used to fund, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like abortion. Yeah. You know, and so how would you respond to someone like that?
2: Um, good question. I would say, uh, yeah, probably. I, I'm sure taxes that um, the first century Christians paid to Rome yeah. Uh, were used for things that were barbaric and uh, debaucherous, too. Um, And ultimately, I believe, I really do, that we're not responsible for that, Uh, that we should, again, take whatever advantage we can uh, to vote, to speak out, etc. I think when we start making independent choices on what to withhold, it just gets so sketchy. It gets so gray. I mean, I can't say, okay, I'll give you uh, 88%, but I've done this research on this Christian blog site that says 12 percent of my taxes and maybe as much as 13 are going to fund planned parenthood i just think we're free from that uh that, that's my view on it that the, that we we render to caesar with caesar's let god sort out all that out in the end but i don't know matt what's your take uh ditto yeah amen yeah man so,
1: making this is not making for like this <laughs> no so <laughs> intense much resonance well, Greg, remember, I did disciple you. I like to thank Yes, you. yes. <laughs> I am still
2: aspiring to be like Matt in every sense. Yeah, so that that, that is the case.
1: Uh, but I would say I, I understand where people are coming Absolutely, from. Absolutely, yeah.
2: And I think it should grieve our heart. It certainly grieves God's heart. I think there's
1: there's outlets and avenues by which, as Christians wanting to be responsible and be sought in light, need to ask those hard questions and need to... Um, Challenge those kinds of things, get involved, but at the end of the day, when it's time to pay your taxes, you pay them.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think it speaks to to the to the fact that like if you're if you are trying to witness to someone, how effective a witness can you be if they know you're cheating on your taxes? <laughs> yeah, it it's like you, you talk about you know morality and you talk about you know loving God and you know Bible, like you said, is just full of verses that tell us we need to pay our taxes. We're trying to witness to someone at work, and they just kind of look at us. Well you don't live out your faith you're not paying your taxes like you're supposed to
2: right right yeah i know a guy years ago who sent his kids to christian school and was trying to self-justify that well i should get a tax break i said i, I agree i agree because you're you're paying portion of uh, taxes to the government that are going for public education that your kids aren't benefiting from i agree with you in principle but in practice you better pay those taxes right yeah uh and and you know he i, I almost asked, well are you going to justify cheating on your tax forms every April?
1: And he said, well, you know, he was thinking, I'm just thinking out loud. I said, yeah, you're, you're thinking out loud. <laughs> and I think, I, I think behind all the, and I'm not saying there's not a legitimate um, questions of concerns about how that money's being spent, and they're good questions to ask in the right context, but I, I think our hearts are active. We love money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there can be a lot of hiding behind unquote being righteous when actually we're chasing after a treasure yeah. and we we want we want a couple extra hundred dollars to ourselves because we want to do what we want to do um and we can man i think our hearts can spin that oh no doubt so
0: final topic that we're gonna be discussing tonight um the new movie coming out 50 shades of gray and we talked about this idea of you know as believers and, and i think um i think for for the podcast, um, what we should be focusing on when we discuss this is mainly believers, because I think it's it's difficult to have this discussion about um, sex, you know, with an unbeliever. Why shouldn't I go see this movie? Well, I mean, I can think of several reasons as a believer why you shouldn't go see this movie. And so um, I think if we can kind of focus on that, um, you know, what what would you say to um, someone who you know says, "Came up, Matt, Greg. You know, I'm, I'm planning on going to see the new Fifty Shades of Grey movie. You know, how would you respond to them? Because essentially, um, neither of us or none of us in here have um, read the book. Obviously, the movie's not out yet. Um, and so, you know, how how would we speak to someone about that, a brother or sister in Christ who's planning on going and seeing this movie? How would we address them?"
2: Yeah, well, uh, I'll be curious to get Matt's take as he'll be uh, watching an opening night, aren't you, Matt? You're going to be there with the extra-large butter popcorn, the greasy fingers. Um, I
1: promised my wife I would not say anything that I would regret. Yes. So in
2: I'm, other words, in this next small segment, Matt won't be speaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude, but you've got to say for, again, our two listeners, didn't you see a church sign recently with a oh, little take? Oh, my goodness. Wow.
1: <laughs> okay, this is what I would like to say to any believer out there. Uh I drove by, and I forget where I was heading, and the church sign was advertising their new series, Fifty Shades of Grace. (laughs) (laughs) And all I... Is it wrong? I wanted to vandalize the sign. Is that... I don't... That probably wouldn't be a good response, but I did. I just thought, Are you kidding me? Yeah. First of all, I wanted to ask you so what are the fifty shades of grace? I'm curious. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> I'd wow. like to know what you came up with.
2: <laughs> is that like a year length sermon series? Yeah. you there, there's a different shade each? Yeah. It's so, so it's, you know, preaching
1: through Galatians. I don't know. Yeah, but uh it's so yeah, I marketing. mean I, so I, first thing I would just say for, for Christians, let let's you know, there's there might be a time and a place to be winsome and, and, you know, find a hook that's kinda like, Oh, the cult this is hot in the culture, so let's do a you know sermon series after i know the church did that a lot with like 24 you know but this probably is not one of those that uh we need to like play that game but
2: dude they're redeeming it they're redeeming (laughs) it that that's the phrase there uh yeah i i saw one online a year or so ago you know i'm a huge breaking bad fan i know matt is and nathan's just started watching it Which means he's in the process of being sanctified. But there was a church that was had a great series, Breaking Bad Habits. Uh, Oh my (laughs) goodness, people! Can you just
1: shut up and preach? Well, first of all, who is this really going to reach? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, seriously, if you're an unbeliever, like, oh my goodness, Uh, Fifty Shades of Grace. uh, (laughs) I I thought the movie was great, but that that sermon series is going to be amazing. I mean, like,
2: unbelievers are lining up in hordes. So it, um, it seems. To Get be, to be
1: nice, it seems silly, and there's other words I could use <laughs> that's, that's pretty charitable.
2: Very schmaltzy. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much about this, Nathan. I would say, obviously, uh, the little bit of reading I've done on it, mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty accessible if you just – Google Fifty Shades of Grace. Read the Wikipedia article. Uh, Challey's, uh, Tim Challey's, had a great article on it when the books came out. or We're in their heyday, mm-hmm. I think, back in early 2013. Yeah. Uh, and He's written some great stuff on it that that is far better than anything I could say. But, I mean, it's soft core porn. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. There uh, are disturbing elements to it, though. I think Challey's, in some of his articles, uh, zeroes in on the fact that it's almost as if uh, Hollywood has found an untapped, pool of porn uh, watchers and readers and that would be suburban pretty well off middle class women which this book uh, intends to reach that don't want sort of the crass in your face pornography that most men would crave if they're seeking that sort of thing but want a story with a plot mm-hmm. and interesting characters and you know something you would see on uh, you know the Oprah book club or mm-hmm. something that's sort of compelling and throw some some uh, bondage in there throw some some porn um so i mean i think that's a concern you know Mm -hmm. uh the the promise of women being liberated through really just cleverly guised pornography Mm -hmm. is really what it is uh is is concerning and you know i i think i haven't met too many christians that are justifying seeing it Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's not like women are going to come up and tell me hey pastor greg i read it and it was very Mm -hmm. helpful um But I think it is a concern. I would say something my mind goes to somewhat associated with it, there is a milder version in Christianity, and I don't know, Matt, if you would see it this way, but I I call it sort of the manual approach to every topic under the sun, Mm -hmm. meaning the Bible has a manual on sex. It's the Song of Solomon, and it's a manual, and it will tell you how to improve your sex life, and it will tell you how to make it more fulfilling and more enjoyable. Um, the Bible has a manual on finances, and that, that, that will tell you, uh, you know, where you should put your money, how much you should spend it, where the Bible kind of becomes a massive encyclopedia of practical manuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, no, I, there is one song, we know it, it's Song of Solomon, that's a, a love poem, ultimately, that's not just about sex. There's sex in it. But it's about marital love, it's about fidelity, it's about faithfulness, it's about appreciating your spouse, and there's some sex in it. Uh, none of it is a manual, uh, but I am concerned that Christians will say, "Hey, you know, the world is giving them Fifty Shades of, of Gray. We need to give the, the better
1: manual." Yeah. yeah, and there probably will be oh yeah some uh, alternative Christian versions of uh, the more sanctified side of of those kinds of spins because uh, yeah. I think that's pretty common. And it's also a great way to market on something. Oh no doubt,
2: no (laughs) doubt. And and again to our gospel point here. I mean, better sex doesn't liberate. The gospel liberates. Yeah. You know, uh, there's not a manual to improve this area, that area, that area. The the whole Bible is a manual thing. Maybe we can podcast that topic sometimes. That's very concerning, Mm -hmm. because again, maybe we
1: could have ten points.
2: Yes. (laughs) I'll start with the same letter. There you go. Yeah, peas are a good one. Mm -hmm. Peas lend themselves to much uh, repetition, but uh the the idea of man i need to find out what god is saying i mean let's just be honest before intended for pleasure came out in the 70s i think it was ed wheat's kind of groundbreaking book i mean christians figured it out mm-hmm. non-christians did too for millennia uh and marriages held together and people had babies and you know the world <laughs> moved on that sometimes i think there's this obsessive interest I, the i think it's c.s lewis of mere christianity has that great picture and that's like 1950 United Kingdom, mm-hmm. where he basically describes a burlesque house where these guys would go in for, for a peep show uh, and, and says that there is a, uh, a curtain. And he says, imagine if you're a uh, visitor from a foreign you know, uh, country, uh, and you come to this country, and you see uh, this curtain rise slowly. And these men kind of get out of their seats and stare with great intensity. And when the curtain comes up slowly, it's like a pork chop on a plate. And men start hooting and hollering. He says, if you left at that moment, whatever you knew about that culture, wouldn't you conclude that there's something that has to do with an unhealthy obsession with food? Um, and that was him saying, I can't imagine what he would say today. Uh <laughs> 2015. You know, I mean, that would blow poor uh, Clive Staples circuits right there. But <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say Clive Staples. I know.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I, I do think that it is as a pastor, I think it is revealing an issue that often has been uh, glossed over as women aren't into, uh, they're not really into quote-unquote pornography. Uh, And I think movies and books, they they reveal the culture. And uh, I mean, some of the statistics that I've read, one in three ladies visit porn sites, Uh, one in five are going there frequently and so to me if there are uh believers that are see this movie or read the um is the church and and obviously as pastors um if if we have ladies who are really interested in seeing this movie that say they love jesus what is that saying what is that revealing and um we have a bigger concern than just a movie they've seen uh, there, there's a heart that needs to to, to be helped and encouraged uh, because something's going on. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and
2: just relating better with our spouses, you know, which is just an overflow of relating to God Himself. Um, yeah, we don't need to mimic Fifty Shades of Grey. Boy, oh, I wish we would stop doing that um, and just revisit the, the the basics of the gospel, how it affects us in our married lives, in our friendships, etc. cetera.
1: How do you think in terms of, because I, my concern is Christians get so fired up in protest against something like this. And, and, you know, from everything I have read about it, I have obviously read it uh, certainly would seem pretty bad and pretty godless. Yeah. Uh, but with it being said, it reveals the state of where we're at it reveals uh, nothing's changed in our culture the fact that people want to see this just reveals where we're at in the culture and we have the gospel my concern is the tone and the way we quote unquote protest it among unbelievers robs the opportunity to give them the words of life uh, and all they're going to get is you better not be seeing that movie Um, and because the reality is the movie will come and the movie will go but the church is going to be here uh, with the greatest message on the earth. And uh, my concern is that Christians, we got to be careful not to lose focus of that.
2: Yeah, because we, we are, I mean, we just love Christians being apocalyptic about everything. I mean, the Da Vinci Code years ago, I mean, some of the rhetoric about that was wow. that...
1: Oh, that was going to change. Oh, that was, that was, yeah. Stop whatever you're preaching, what book of the Bible you're preaching through, because this has got to be the.
2: Gotta, gotta tackle Da Vinci Code. And, you know, I mean, now people would probably say, "Was that Tom
1: Hanks in that, yeah. or was yeah, that right. was <laughs> that Tom Cruise?" I know it was a Tom. I mean, it, Sylvester Stallone. Yes, it was. It was. It would
2: have been more interesting if it was if it was him. You, I think. You, uh, you. But the the whole um, yeah the the whole reactionary response. I mean, I I kind of maybe we should organize a protest for Christians to stop protesting. Um, <laughs> we're protesting, protesting Christians because. I just, is there even an audience anymore that's listening? Christians are angry about this. Christians are angry about that. Um,
1: because the culture, when they think of what is an evangelical, they think about a list of things they are against. Yes. None of them got the message of, of the one we love. Yeah. And the one we want them to know because they were made to know him. And that yeah. gets lost. Yeah,
2: wouldn't it wouldn't be awesome if it was, man, these guys just, they're talking about Jesus all the time like they know him. They talk about Jesus all the time like he's a, a friend, he's somebody that they love. I mean, that would be pretty awesome yeah. uh, and a lot closer to what we want people to see. Uh, so I think that's a great point, Matt. I, 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 yeah, I, it, some of the reaction, you know, have you heard about this movie? Almost acts like, I mean, until yesterday, it was 1951, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all <laughs> wives were at home with bows in their hair and they had pork chops in the oven and, you know, uh, they met their husbands at the door and everything was wholesome and leave it to Beaverish. until this movie came out. And you're right. Why did the movie come out? it's because it's a reflection of where people are and you know we don't expect non-christians to act like christians yeah. but to your point nathan we do want to think how do we shepherd christians yeah. to yeah. think about these issues yeah.
0: well and it's funny because you know like you guys were saying there's always these protests and so it seems like christians have the very Peter response in the garden pull out my sword and cut off the ear of the nearest person <laughs> instead yeah. of the Christ response with the woman at the well mm. yeah. just very you know accepting the fact that you know what this is I believe this is sin I yeah. believe this is wrong, but there is hope yeah
1: but think about the the, the, the redemptive conversations you could potentially have uh, with somebody who would think you're totally nuts, but you could have that conversation in a way that, not only helps them to understand your questions, your concerns, and the reasons that you, you'd be bothered, but it really opens the door for the greater discussion, which yeah. is the gospel. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think asking, "What is it? Why do you think there is such an interest?" Uh, I mean, do, do you think uh, women are thinking this? This is what matters in life. I mean, I'm concerned. I mean, we, uh, you know, we both have daughters, Matt and I. You know, I, I know they live in a, in a culture that has so much pressure upon them mm-hmm. that if they're not loved by a guy, yep. they're nothing. Yeah. You know, if you're not, if you don't have a boy interested in you, I mean, it's better to have a boyfriend. But at least if you have a guy that's interested in you, then then that means you've arrived or something like that. Too. It's, I'd rather ex- it's validation. Yeah. Explore those. You know mm-hmm. what 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 is what does God think of you? I mean, how um, who are you to Him? Who are you to Christ? What has He done? Um, which you're right, I'd much rather have those conversations than, you know,
0: boy, did you know they showed X, Y, and Z in in this movie, and yeah, it's no surprise. Well, and I think the the conversations, too, can center around, you know, Joy's obviously not going to see this movie. You know, well, why isn't Joy going to see it? Well, you know, it has nothing to do with me forcing her not to, but we have a relationship and she loves me, Mm -hmm. and so she's not going to see this out of respect for our relationship and the love that we have for one another bred out of the love that we have for Christ. Yeah.
2: And she's married to a stud, so who needs Fifty Shades of Grey? That's gray? right. Uh, Nathan wrote a note to say that right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt, you could have written that note. I was gonna did. make a comment, but I was afraid we are gonna have to edit it, yeah. so I'm, just, I'm gonna stop.
2: <laughs> hey, we'll probably do some editing when this is done anyway, so, so we'll
0: see. All right. I think uh, that wraps us up, unless you guys have uh, any other final thoughts or comments. Matt, you never did get
2: a chance to tell the audience uh, just what I've meant to you and your life and uh, the way I've shaped you and mentored you. I think people are interested in hearing that.
1: Uh, Greg has, uh, has been a really nice guy, and uh, I'm very grateful for him. I think that sums it up. Yeah, all right. How about that? <laughs> hey, that was, <laughs> kind of went middle of the road there. I'll take it. Because you, you weren't expecting to even get that much. No, no. I you was. expecting <laughs> to actually get
0: like totally Yeah, I was ready loss. for it, man. He, he was almost
2: speechless for me. I a was. There. Man, now I can't sin like I wanted to. I had a great retort. <laughs> I'll save it for. Your I'm next I'm going
1: intro. to leave that to the audience to be in suspense. Yes. Until another time. To another, another, another time. Another time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Another place.
0: <laughs> I'm Wayne. You're Sandy. <laughs> there we go. All right. And so we're gonna call that a wrap. And Greg, if this was the '80s and this was the Casbah,
1: you We've, would rock the Casbah. We rock the Casbah. These go to eleven.